Hi, Ash. Um, how has it been another a couple of weeks since the last time we, re- we recorded? I hope you've had an awesome couple of weeks. Um, it's sunny here, which is amazing. It's fun. It's the last few days was a bit uh, overcast and it's like, eh. Um, but I'm, I'm happy that it's finally sunny and it's maybe starting to look forward to spring a little bit. So that's always good news in my world. How about you? <laughs> yeah, same here. We uh, we spent most of the day outside today. So, yeah, it's been pretty good. Um, and the little bit we were inside was just kind of like just to take a break. But after a, a long winter, um, it's nice to get outside when you're in a place like New York. <laughs> Oh, yes, absolutely. I the th- at least for me like it has felt like the blue skies have been a little bit on the thin side is like, oh, it would be nice to see the blue sky a little bit more often, but you know, as we're getting into the the regular spring season, I have my fingers crossed that uh the days won't be as gloomy as they have been for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um on our way back, we stopped just to grab a drink uh, and just kind of hang out because we've been like really out just kind of running and uh, doing all kinds of stuff today. And uh, it's funny because what came up? We had a question that came up around, um, oh, yeah, something specific around um, doing a floral workshop at a local artist pop-up studio. Um, so wait, let me see, make sure I said that right. So let me, the scenario, right. There's going to be a local artist, um, like pop-up market. Mm-hmm. And my wife, who is a floral designer has been invited to participate in said market. And we were kind of thinking through, like, we had some ideas about, oh, here's some cool stuff that we could potentially do with that. Um, but then I thought, and here's where, uh, I'm starting to build some muscle memory, which is okay. <laughs> We we used our brains. Now let's use the bots. And I went into chat GPT, which uh, at this point, um, even for my wife, who's a she's she's very much, you know, floral designer, therefore not super techie, definitely, you know, kind of can do all the stuff. But um, when it Mm -hmm. comes to something like chat GPT is, uh, you know, she's now getting used to basically anytime we have something to think about. I will one, have us think it out and two, then go ask the bot. And then we'll (laughs) talk about how interesting that is. And it may come up with some different ideas or whatever, and then kind of use that as an inspirational cycle. Uh, But I think it's just, you know, today, that's what we want to talk about, Mm -hmm. right? That's what everyone's talking about all the time. And there's lots of reasons to get excited about it. There's also lots of sort of caveats you could throw at it or whatever. But I think for <laughs> now, I'm having more fun just in leaning into it a lot, even in my own personal life, mm-hmm. uh, but also in my work life. So um, I know that when it comes to generative AI uh, beyond chat GPT, it's been a it's been a huge week uh, kind of on the Adobe side of things as well. Yes. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm curious, like what what the recent past has been for you? Like what's it been like for you uh, when it comes to generative API just or AI in general? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I will say that. Um, so first of all, like within the last week, um, Adobe, maybe it's just a little bit longer than a week. Anyway, within the last few days, as of the recording date uh, of this uh, session, um, Adobe released um, a beta of their or, or an early look into their generative AI for images um, called uh, Adobe Firefly. 
And I, it was absolutely hilarious is we had an internal beta um, where all of us jumped on and it's like, ooh, let's start playing with this and see what we can come up with and really testing the boundaries of what is possible with the model. And, you know, does the UI feel feel good? Are there uh, odd things that are, you know, any bugs or whatever that need to be worked out? And I, it, it's kind of hilarious because in so many ways, I think um, it, it at least my productivity felt like it felt a hit because it was so nice, easy to be going in and you would just put in a prompt and you would see what you would get out. And then you would spend the next 10 minutes like iterating on that prompt. Well, what happens if I tweak this or tweak that? And it was absolutely um, a lot of fun doing that, but it was also um, amazing seeing all the stuff that everyone else was generating. And that would of course then inspire new, new thoughts of like, Ooh, well maybe I'll try using that theme or that style or that particular uh, part of that phrasing and see, see what else uh, I can generate. And so all of us across the, the entire company were, were, were sharing our, what we were generating. And it was like, it, it was really cool seeing what this model could generate and seeing the fruits of the the labor by by the developers um and then being able to to put that out to the world and like start to see that um see how end users are starting to to react to it i know it's it's uh you have to request access to it so it's slowly opening it up um but that's going on over a continual basis but it's really it's really interesting and um i can't wait to see what comes out of all of that. Um, but I've been having a lot of fun playing with it. I actually got access on Thursday night and I was at a work happy hour in Manhattan. Uh, and, <laughs> and so I was in a place where reception wasn't great, but I was right? like, I'm going to try this now. <laughs> and I'm on my phone, uh, you know, not, not so Farfly, not yet optimized for mobile, nope. but it's a beta. So <laughs> not expected either way. I got a chance just to poke, uh, you know, just a few prompts into it just to play with the new toy. Um, and since then, I've played with it a little bit more on, especially on the text to image side of things, and mm-hmm. also a little bit of so uh, in Firefly. Um, from and this is obviously me speaking as an outsider uh, on this kind of stuff at this point or when it comes to what Adobe's doing, but like my my understanding, looking at the page is like there's going to be a suite of AI use cases or modes or whatever. The two that are available today that at least as far as I've seen are text Mm -hmm. to image. And then there's also one called text effects um, with something called recolor vectors being touted as coming up soon. And and Mm -hmm. I guess there's a handful of others that are further down the page. Yeah. Um, Have you have you been playing with both of the the publicly available ones? Yeah, the text to image one is where that that strikes my fancy the most just because I'm curious, like what will it, what what will come out of it? But I have played with the text effects ones, and it's it can generate some really interesting um, styles as well. Especially when you need that, like we all know that AI is generally not great at writing text and images. Like you might eventually get there, you know, by sheer chance that it spells a word correctly, but it's not great at that. But the text effects is more about like texturing or filling the paths of uh, a, a word or a phrase and it it's it's really cool so like some of the examples that they have in there is like wires or leaves or um i've tried it with like uh paint swirls and 
feathers and all these kinds of things. And it can be really interesting what, what it comes out uh, with. Um, and so I think there's lots of utility there, but I haven't played with that one as much as the text image one, just because that's for my visual nature. I like seeing you know, like what is coming out of the, the, the system. Yeah. For text effects, I, I played around with that for a while because, you know, one of the uh, use cases I just happen to have for something potentially like Firefly is that, you know, I've mentioned before, but my wife just started her own, you know, company pretty recently. And so we're kind of getting into that. Let's play around with what the branding would look like kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was in text effects for a while, seeing if I could come up with like a compelling um, logo. Um, and I'm not sure if that's what I would end up using it for, because what text effects does is really cool, but it's also very intricate, which might not be you know the thing that you want to use yeah. in a logo. Um, but one thing that I thought was really cool is how uh, in the text effects, it uses you you can set the sort of shape of the character, like the letter A, mm-hmm. as a guide. And then you can tell the AI like how much to adhere to that shape strictly yes. or not. And so imagine a world, for example, where um, you mentioned splattered paint, I think. Um, mm-hmm. One of the like the one I was doing it with for potentially obvious reasons was flowers. And so it was neat because you could make a word and the flowers would almost be in, kind of in the right places, like growing out of yes. different parts of the of the letters, which I think is really interesting because you, you like the naive, uh, the almost naive approach could have been just, oh, well, generate a, a an image from your prompt and then use that to fill the shape of your your text. And that would be still interesting. And like if you mm-hmm. do the tight text fit, that's kind of what you get is it's very much a a very tight fit. Nothing strays outside of the bounds of of the font. Um, but if you go looser, like and this this was really interesting to me because like like swirls of paint or I think I was using um, pulses of electricity and things like that is now you have that capability of it can go outside the lettering, which is really interesting when you get into like, like for your case of flowers, where now you have, uh, tendrils that are going outside of the, this, the, the lettering. And that just, you know, gives it that, that much more interest. And it goes beyond the scope of just, Oh, this is, a, a mask basically of the text on top of the image. It's, it's much more than that. Um, and it's, it's so cool to see what comes out of it. Yeah. And so, you know, I, as I've been thinking about like, where would I use something like this, as I mentioned, maybe a logo wouldn't be it, but I can imagine, for example, if we were making say flyers for an event Mm -hmm. that we're doing, like that would be maybe quite nice for the heading of, you know, say the event name or something. Uh, so there's a lot more for me to play with there, but I kind of got into that and yeah, it's interesting. So in some ways I feel like now that I'm thinking of it, I spent more time playing with text effects than I did the text to image, <laughs> but I think I know why. And he- here's the interesting thing. And I'm I'm curious to hear what your experience has been with text to image. For me, I have gotten so used to using chat GPT that I'm used to engaging the AI in a context aware ongoing conversation. And Mm -hmm. this is the part where sort of, I guess, we're calling this prompt engineering. Um, So like, Mm -hmm. this is where in Firefly, I wasn't quite sure, like, am I meant to keep trying until I get exactly the prompt that I want? Or, or how to sort of like, 
is there a way to over time be like, no, not quite this, move it a little to the left or uh, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing where I'm coaching it. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been kind of, um, less so on some of the text ones. And I, and just, just for the purpose of show notes, I did put in a, a, a sample of one that I just ran with flowers, um, so that we can put it into the show. Whoa, notes. That's uh, wild. Which is, it's super cool. And yeah, to your point, like it's so detailed, you probably wouldn't want to create a, a, a logo out of it because obviously you need to be able to have it be at small sizes. And, um, this, this, this is meant to be seen, you know, all the pixels be seen rather than, you know, something that's good at a small size, but like headings and stuff, it would be great. Um, what I have used, and especially when you're in the text to image one, um, you have the, the UI is really nice for this is number one. It's really easy just to iterate on the prompt. So I do that all the time. It's like, Oh, I'll start with maybe something that's kind of close to what I wanted. And then it's like, well, maybe this word will help refine it. So like, uh, one of the ones that I was trying to do was um, some stormy imagery, um, but more like a, um, a, a vibrant painterly effect and things like that. And so I would start fairly loose, see what it came up with, and then I would start to fine tune it. Like maybe I want maybe one of one of the renditions that came up with a, a barn by accident because I was just talking about an open field or a tree or something like that. And then I would start putting that into the prompt and then seeing what came up next. Um, the other nice thing, which is which I really enjoyed with the text image side of the house, is it does let you uh, have an affordance for selecting one of the versions that it returns. So in text to image, it returns four versions and you can say, Hey, return some more versions that are like this one. And that can be useful to, to see if like it was close, but not quite what you're after. If you, you can start generating other variations um, that might be a little bit closer to what you were looking for. And so I've kind of used a mix of that. Um, now, like it would be amazing and, and I'm sure it'll be interesting to see where all this goes in the future because there's so many possibilities in terms of how it can be integrated into products and features and things like that. Um, but like being able to say, you know, give it a like tell it a an area of the image to focus on or, you know, everything here is great except for this little bit. So, you know, a little bit more in painting out painting um, would be would be really interesting as well, because there are some times where it's like, oh, the image is great just tweak this little spot, maybe improve that. And that would go a long way. But um, to this point, it has been really a lot about, you know, refresh a lot of times until something strikes my fancy. And then I might tweak on the variations a little bit for the text effects. um, You get one version back. um, So you're not getting a whole lot of variations other than the four. Well, I I should say that again, you get four thumbnails, but you don't uh, get the full picture of, of the text that you were asking for. Um, and you can generate on that. Um, but there's the, the generate similar isn't quite the, is isn't, uh, exposed in this instance. Um, so I will say that I find more iterative or I've been more iterative in the text to image side of the house, but I think you could do something very similar here. Okay. Interesting. And I just noticed on the text to image one that, that icon, the icon that is show similar, I just hadn't noticed that before. So if you hover over one of those thumbnails that you get, you get like a, what's that equal sign in math where it's like quasi equals sort of, you know, the wavy uh, equals. 
equates or is that similarity? I don't remember exactly the math name for it. It's been but too the, long. It's like a wa- <laughs> yeah, it's a wavy equal sign anyway. So I, I guess I get where that, I, I just haven't seen that before. So it's interesting because as you were describing that, I was thinking, oh, in Lightroom uh, uh, CC, like you can, you can do the same thing with, um, geez, what was it? Like certain kind of, not templates or styles. I don't know what they're called, but you can basically, if, if you have it, look at your photo and then suggest some, you can say, mm-hmm. oh, please sub- suggest some more like this. And that I guess that's what basically what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. And it does. I mean, it, it gets uh, very, very close to, to what you what you're asking for. Um, now, it's a little bit challenging sometimes, like, you know, what you might say is like, here's what I'm at looking for in terms of visual similarity versus what the model infers. Um, so you're still a little bit at the at what it's interpreting to be similar, but composition, coloring, a lot of that stuff tends to be fairly similar in terms of what it generates. And so I, I, I will say that one of the things that that um, it kind of brought out a little bit in me was like, I, I found myself downloading a lot of these images because like, there's no, um, there's no uh, like save to your own personal gallery. Like you either download it or it's probably not, you know, it's, it may be lost to the ether. Um, you can submit your images to like a public gallery to have others remix it and things like that, which is really cool. Um, but there's also a little bit of FOMO that starts to creep into how I use it is like, oh, well, you know, just let me hit refresh one more time because maybe that's the one that will give me the perfect image. Um, so there's a little bit of that in there that you have to be careful. Like it's really easy to get sucked down into a rabbit hole of refreshing 20 times on a single prompt. But this is true of all of the text to image mo- uh, solutions that are out there. Yeah, that that definitely happened with me. I, I was also in text to image trying to come up with some with some sort of uh, something for, again, my wife's business. I don't remember what it was, but just messing around with floral stuff. And I just kept going again and again and again. Um, now, I saw your face. So like, if, <laughs> if you're looking at the show notes, like or the thing, yeah, that's different. This was obviously not yes. for the floral studio. This is, I just like, as we were chatting here, put in something like I, I just did a prompt that said, astronauts playing golf on the surface of Mars in a cyberpunk style Partially, it's pretty simple prompts, but the idea was that I could use that generate some more to keep zeroing down into Mm -hmm. uh, this image that I guess we'll try to get into the show notes if we can. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it is really interesting in terms of like, there's a lot that I, I look at it and go, um, in terms of inspiration, like, um, in terms of finding artwork or, or, or I, ideating on what you might want to include, say in a poster or in marketing material or what have you, even if you're not using the final image. And in fact, for Firefly right now, it's everything is watermarked. Um, it's signed with the content of the authenticity initiative. So it says it was generated by AIML. Um, it's not for commercial use uh, and it's explicit in the thumbnail that it isn't. Um, and all that's, I mean, it's a beta at the moment. So like there's, there's things to be, to, to be worked out there and, and manage one's expectations, but there's still so much that you can do in terms of how might I want to design some marketing material for a business or, uh, how might I want to design a logo or what have you, or a header or all of these things. And there's just such, so much interesting inspiration that you can pull out of it that it's like, I probably wouldn't have come to on my own. Um, because there, you get a little bit of that randomness that, that the, whatever the model is generating is like, oh, well, that's an idea I would never have considered, uh, which is, uh, really interesting for me to think about. And so 
going beyond what's available in Firefly today, and you know, there's a couple of different vectors I'd like to just chat about here for a second. Mm-hmm. One is where is Firefly going? And again, I'm not asking for anything secret because it's all on the page. So <laughs> yep. we'll talk about that a little bit. But also um, beyond Firefly, what are some other alternatives out there? Um, I have a couple of things. Um, so I'll, I'll chat about that in just a minute as well. Um, but when when it comes to just like moving beyond the, the two. So again, uh, to reiterate, there's text effects and text to image that seem to be publicly available in the beta today uh, mm-hmm. with other things coming up like um, let's see. So there's text to vector, which when making a logo, that's actually what I want anyway. Right. So, oh, that would be yeah. amazing. I actually, can't wait for that one. <laughs> it took me a minute because uh, at first I was playing around with some of the stuff anyways. And then I was like, oh, wait, these are, I guess they're coming through as like rasterized. Like, yeah. I don't know if they're JPEGs they're or like what, but JPEGs or pings, one of the two, but yeah, yeah, you're, you're going to, you're not going to have a vector representation, which means oh, this is a problem for printing like large images because I, I don't know what the, the resolution comes in, but you're going to see the pixels if you print uh, that on a on a very large poster. <laughs> yeah, uh, and there's a there's like a whole other sort of like list of things uh, here. I won't read them all, but I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll pick up the other two that really strike my fancy. Uh, one is uh, extend image. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... <laughs> Imagine you had, I don't know, like the, this is the, the thumbnail here is actually a really good example, but maybe you had like a square image. I don't know. Maybe you optimized it for Instagram. And then later you're like, oh man, I really wish this was in some sort of like landscape mode. You can sort of have the AI kind of (laughs) interpret the left and the right side of the image that isn't actually there. Yes. Uh, That's going to be interesting. Uh, Both the the success cases, of course, but also the failure modes. (laughs) I want to see if oh, I yes. accidentally cut off, I don't know, like my my cousin's face, half of his face or something. And then like what happens there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what is it actually going to fill in? And yeah, I mean, anything to do with people and faces or hands and things like that. You you you, you walk this fine line of, oh, that's cool. That looks great versus, oh, now I'm staring at a nightmare um, because it's gone off in a completely different direction. And another one is a uh, text to template. Um, I, I, I guess I, I'm not sure if this is something you can click through to, it doesn't look like it. So there's not a lot of details here, but I'm interpreting that as basically being like, would I want maybe an email template or like Mm -hmm. a document template? So I describe, oh, I'm having a, what we use today as an example, we're having a child's six-year-old birthday party at a park uh, in the neighborhood at this time. Um, and, and that kind of thing. We'll put all the details, just type it all in and then it makes the thing. Um, let's have it in the style of unicorns, for example. Yeah. And I think that'd be super cool. And I mean, I, I, to be clear, I am not working on the project. So I'm, although I work at Adobe, I am also looking at it a little bit from the inside or outside of like, Oh, what are, what do these things mean? But that's, that's also kind of how I take it is like, Oh, it'd be really uh, amazing to be able to say, Oh, I want a, a sign-up sheet or I want to create a poster for a, for an event and it could start to pre-fill in um, an interesting layout based upon the image that it created. Like there's all sorts of ways that you could take that um, and um, get all sorts of variations, almost kind of like, I know for a long time there's been a um, feature in, is it in PowerPoint that gives you design suggestions based on slides, which I think maybe I have actually accepted a suggestion once or twice um, because they're not, 
there, there's not a lot of variety there. there. There, it seems to be fairly limited in terms of what it's suggesting. But like, you could imagine this on, oh, given an idea, create some, you know, huge amount of options uh, based upon what you might want to do. Um, and that gives you a little bit more flair and uh, uniqueness because um, not every template ends up being the same. So I, yeah, I can't wait for that. There's other ones in here like sketch to image, uh, which I'm, which would be interesting because there's a lot of cases where I might draw something, but then it'd be nice to have it fill in the, fill in the details. Um, and also I think some of the other stuff around like three, uh, like doing some 3d stuff, like, I don't know what that entails, but that just sounds so cool to me. It's like, give it a, give it a 3d depth map and, and, you know, put the textures on this thing. Cause I I'm horrible at anything 3d. So any tool that comes along that, that, um, makes that a little bit more approachable to me sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm already having fun playing with it, but I am, you know, one of the things is with these tools in general, I try to get past the play mode as soon mm -hmm. as I, I mean, it's not, not to, you know, not to sort of say that playing around with something isn't like worth its own time. I mean, heck this is this whole podcast is called I'd rather be scripting. Um, so <laughs> sometimes we just want to script and have fun with that, you know, but at the same time, like, I'm trying to find again, like really proactively think about like, what are the things in my life where I'd actually use this? Um, and when it comes to Firefly, it's pretty obvious to me already in a number of different cases. And so again, you know, whether it's things like logo creation or, mm -hmm. you know, building out images or flyers or whatever else. Um, but that's just for me personally, obviously there's a bunch of other stuff that this is going to eventually do that other folks are going to get um, way more mileage out of, um, text to brush as just one example. Um, I, I brushes and Photoshop are just like, not really something I do a lot with. Uh, but I don't begrudge <laughs> yeah, the they're... feature. I think that's actually a really cool idea. Uh, just in, in my own life, I, I don't know that how much I would be using it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting thing is like, I, I, I can imagine that there's a million and one opportunities, not just even like, oh, what does it bring to Photoshop? Because there's so many features that you could imagine that this ties into. Um, but even other tooling, like the same thing of templates, you could, you know, would that, you know, would you do InDesign templates or other variations of things or like the the vectoring stuff of, you know, could that be integrated in Illustrator um, and really make it surface, surface it where the user is doing their work and then offer that as augmentation to to get their job done faster. Plus, you know, um, do ideation and and still have a bit of play because like it's delightful when you see something pop up that you totally didn't expect. But it's like, oh, that's a great idea. So in some ways, um, you you almost have that. Um, uh, that rep repartee a little bit where like maybe, you know, if you were sharing a desk with another person and you were talking through a design, you can kind of have that a little bit with, with the AI model. And it's not necessarily that it's replacing another human being, but some of the, the, the randomness that comes out of that can be, uh, can, can add that little extra spark to what you're actually trying to do. 100% really using it as a way to establish some auspicious, uh, like virtuous cycles. Mm -hmm. in just day-to-day -day things that whereas before it might not it, you know it's not that you're replacing a human it's that like bugging another human about this one little thought might you know whether it's at work <laughs> or elsewhere you know might not have been like appropriate or like possible and so instead like you can kind of say well I'm just kind of noodling on the seed of a thought and 
don't want to bother somebody about it and mm-hmm. just kind of like kick it back and forth. I, you know, I think in my interactions often with even folks at work, like I like to think about the concept of throwing the ball back and forth. Because uh, at least for yes. me, like that's I get a lot of mileage out of that portion of doing things. But then some folks don't want to work that way, and uh, or there are times where you just can't for whatever reason. And it's nice to have a little bit of input from somewhere else. Yeah, and you never know where I mean where some of that inspiration comes from. And you might have got there eventually yourself. But um, it it is useful, I think, to. Um, like I mean any time that I've gone through even when I'm just coding for example is like that that level of uh, being able to iterate rapidly often is what allows me to vet out ideas or get to a final product quickly and now you have something here that like in terms of ideation on a design I don't have to draw the same thing out a hundred times I can start from something that I can iterate on and then maybe that get, directs me down a particular path um, so there's also just, you know, all the time saving aspects uh, that there that that come out of that. So there's lots of um, I see that there's lots of potential impact for, you know, improving my own productivity. If I were, you know, in terms of anything around marketing or designing uh, content um, and not, not to say that there aren't 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 the, aren't risky sides of it as well. But um, there's. um some of the concepts that I've that I've been able to generate with just a prompt are not concepts I would necessarily like the end result is not something I would have gotten to quickly at all. So <laughs> especially because I'm not an artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, 100%. I mean, most of the stuff that's coming out of it are things I couldn't do on my own, um, regardless if I could imagine it, which even sometimes is questionable. So uh, <laughs> um, I can get the idea. And that's about as close as I go. But uh, you know, kind of thinking outside of the context of Firefly for a moment, then mm-hmm. um, there, there's obviously been uh, other things out there for a good while now that we can play with. And uh, I yeah. think we both have. So one, for example, uh, uh, Mid Journey, which mm-hmm. my understanding is the primary interface is a, is a Discord server, uh, but also things like Stable Diffusion. And um, I swear there was a Mac app for this. Uh, what was that one called? Do you there, happen to there remember? There is. Uh, it's called Diffusion B. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. All one word. Um, and it, it downloads a big, I mean, the model is quite eight gigabytes on your machine. So mm-hmm. you got to have the space. Um, but if you want to run some of the, the stable diffusion models locally, like that is an option. Have an M1 device because it's going to take forever. <laughs> otherwise. Yeah, I guess that's the whole thing is one of the reasons that Firefly has been a lot of fun to play with is that it is accessible to me as uh, somebody who doesn't love to interact with discord so much. It's just not my favorite thing. Um, it's mm-hmm. very distracty. Uh, but also with diffusion B, I, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you live on an Intel machine from 2019. Uh, so this is a, a MacBook <laughs> pro that was like the last gen, the one with the, the decent keyboard <laughs> that, uh, yes. that has Intel chip inside, uh, and, uh, lots of fan usage and all of that kind of thing. So, um, I did put the, d- d- I have Diffusion B on my Mac. The reason I forgot what it's called is it's so slow <laughs> that for me, this is just, I, I don't know, like, you know, you, you want to have that ability to like cycle quickly. Yes. Um, and with, you know, every time I had to trigger a, a redraw, you know, I'm waiting minutes at a time, um, which <laughs> I guess is going to be a killer for any iteration process that you have. 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a modern complaint. But look, I mean, the the alternatives are <laughs> out there, right? And if you are on like an MX chip of some kind, then what I understand is this stuff moves along much more quickly. Yeah, it is. Um, and it, of course, it depends upon the settings that you use. I think on general, um, I'm I'm seeing around 30 seconds to get a, a few images back. And of course, this isn't like a super number of iterations or they're not big images. They're like, I think, 512 by 512, um, which is another thing that I really like out of Firefly is the images can be quite a bit larger than that. So there's a little bit more detail in there. Um but the nice thing with Diffusion B, of course, is everything's running local on your machine. Um, you're you're in complete control over what comes out of that, um, and what you put into it. You're you know, you can be offline and use it, which is nice, um, versus having to be online all the time. But um, I, I I've I've enjoyed using Diffusion B, but I will say the speed at which, at least for me, that Firefly returns results has been. That's one of the reasons why I can generate like. 200 images out of it in a short period of time is because you can just click the refresh button and a, and a few seconds later you get results. So it, it definitely makes it all that more easy to, to do that. Oh, I'll tweak this little thing and see what that looks like. And you find yourself 10 minutes later having done that 20 times. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it does take me that little bit of time to, again, the auspicious cycle, the virtuous cycle, whatever you call it, where I initially, whatever I put into the thing, um, the AI bot, whatever it might be, Firefly or otherwise, like the first one that I do is not as well considered as I probably thought um, mm -hmm. once I see the feedback and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> I see where you got that, but here's right. how I make myself clear. <laughs> We're going to try again. And, you know, if yeah. you're going to do that five times, but you're waiting you know, let's five say, minutes. <laughs> yeah, let's say, yeah, or generously, let's call it three minutes. Either way, you know, times five, that really adds up. Whereas if you're only waiting, you know, I don't know, with Firefly, I wouldn't say that I'd necessarily feel like I'm ever waiting more than five seconds for things that I've tried so far. Um, yeah. But it's again, really on, fast. Mm -hmm, it's really fast. Um, I, and I will I'll, I will second that notion because there's actually um, there's an iPad app that I just came across that also can run the models locally. Um, and the name of it is escaping me at the moment. I'll get it in the show notes. Um, but my iPad pro is, is it a first, it's a first generation iPad pro. So it's not young. Um, it's not, a, I mean, it was fast for its time, but it's nowhere near an M1 capability. Uh, and so similar challenge of like, oh yeah, it's outputting a 384 by 384 image running out, you know, doing only a few little iterations and it still takes a considerable amount of time and about 4% battery life for every single image. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm not going to get a lot out of this, even though like I love being able to run it locally on my iPad. Um, it's like, I'm not going to iterate on this more than a couple times if I'm feeling generous or I'm going to do it plugged in, which I may as well be on my Mac. Um, so yeah, I, I feel the pain for anyone who isn't either on an M1 or if you've got a PC, like on something that has a reasonably powerful GPU, um, running these models locally is may not be um, your cup of tea if you like to iterate a lot. <laughs> yeah, which is definitely me. So I thought, you know, in terms of just iterating super fast uh, and all of that, um, the place where I find myself spending the most time doing the most iteration right now is not image based, mm -hmm. uh, 
nor graphic based or anything like that. It's um, actually spending a lot of time in chat GPT. Yes. So I thought we might switch gears a bit and talk a little bit about that too, because I think uh, the the things that we can use it for today are potentially so wide um, mm-hmm. in scope that it's just, it is kind of useful to have uh, some of this just back and forth amongst humans about like, hey, what are you using this thing for and how are you getting the best results? Um, yeah. So maybe we chat a little bit about that. Yeah, I've been having a ball with uh, ChatGPT doing various things. I think we we had a a previous uh, demonstrations in 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 episodes of it doing poetry and things like that. Um, The the one of the most recent ones that I that I actually asked it to do, um, and this was uh, because I saw a, a thread internally. Um, I asked it, uh, okay, could you write a Photoshop plugin that changed um, the font of every text layer in the document? And um, not having stayed 100% up to date on every API that Photoshop exposes, I thought this would be a fun little experiment because like, I don't know right off the top of my head either exactly how to do that. Um, and so I took it through its paces and asked it to go ahead and do that. Um, we got there in the end. Um, there were some very interesting things that it was trying to do in terms of um, like, I'm not 100% positive why it was trying to go a certain direction. Um, and um, it is also, uh, it was very much prone to hallucinating what would seem like a very reasonable idea or API or, you know, this is how it could be done, which would be really interesting in the context of API design. Like, oh, well, maybe you could get it to come up with a reasonable approach to how you, like how users might think to write a script like this versus how it actually is done. Um, But we got there in the end by like, oh, saying, oh, it should be this, fix this up a little bit. And uh, the final code that it resulted in did actually work. It took me, what, about 30 minutes to get there? Probably faster than it was going to be for me to write it from scratch. <laughs> oh, that's super cool. Yeah, I've been uh, kind of using it in that context a lot. I mean, just in terms of like whether I can use it for, let's say, like developer education on, on certain APIs. Like let's, let's, for example, working with one of our developer advocates uh, at Nihilus not too long ago, Actually, I think it was just like two days ago, actually. Uh, <laughs> Yesterday is a year ago. <laughs> Thursday or Friday, it really is sometimes. Um, and <laughs> so we were just kind of sitting there saying, okay, what if we asked the um, the chat to generate, uh, what was it? Like we had a certain prompt, a certain maneuver with our API that you might do and just have it like write all of that out step by step. And, you know, in terms of putting together the overall content, it was quite good. We didn't Mm -hmm. actually go through and validate the code itself, for example. Um, But at the same time, when we have validated the code before, it's not always great. Um, But I'm one of those people that really tends to think that that's just a matter of time. Um, For the time being, you definitely want to be checking (laughs) all of the code that this thing produces for you if you ask it to, to make do anything. Um, but you know, there are some things where it can help you move faster. Uh, certainly we've talked a bit about GitHub Copilot in the past and using it to do some very obvious common maneuvers. Sometimes we'll just save you all the typing that, you know, you're going to have to do anyway. Oh, Mm -hmm. I want to write this file or I want to read this file. 
Yeah. I mean, why why do I have to write that? We all know what's going to happen. So well, there's so much boilerplate. <laughs> there is like it's a it's well trod paths. Like you you know exactly what to do, and it's really more a matter of tweaking it so that it's using the right variable names or it's slotting in this in this particular use case. I really don't want to have to write those every time I'm trying to do something, which is kind of like even with the example I just uh, shared with uh, right, using ChatGPT to write a Photoshop plugin is like there are motions in there where it's like, OK, that there's boilerplate. So just let it go do its thing and then, um, you know, let it figure out the logic and you know, do I want to have to figure out how to do a do a for uh, a, a for loop that or not a for for loop a, a map that does asynchronous waiting and all of that jazz? No, um, it it can do that because it's familiar enough with JavaScript and promise.all and all those things. So definitely for those things. But yes, to your point, uh, don't just take it at its uh, face value. Like actually, you do have to like check the code because like the first couple passes is like, oh, this method does not exist or it's undefined. And if you go back to chat GPT saying, oh, this was a problem, it will go, oh yes, um, you're right. Um, I was incorrect in in using this particular method. Here's a, ver a version that should, should fix the issue. So it's very polite in that regard. Um, but yeah, um, having that, feedback loop of what is working, which as a developer, we're always doing, right? Is I've, I've got my first pass of code. It fails at this and X is undefined or what have you. And it's like, why is it undefined? I go through, look through, debug my code, come up with the, the answer. And then I do a new iteration. It's exactly the same kind of thing with chat GPT. And then you can eventually get there. One of the things that we've been talking about uh, at the, you know, within the DevRel team at Nihilus is, uh, you know, really challenging ourselves to think about how we can augment the things that we do mm -hmm. with just using a, a chat interface like this. And, you know, so you, that, that could be different for everyone. But let's say, for example, one of the things I've been playing around with for the last week is um, how to turn your docs your developer documentation for your APIs and as into an interlocutor, like where the user could potentially just talk to the docs and ask it for things mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever it might be. And, and of course, GitHub had this idea plenty of, so right around that time, <laughs> they announced the, this uh, beta. They have a website called, what's it called? It's githubnext.com, I believe. Yeah. Uh, where you can go and you sign up for all these different experiments they did. Um, just as one example, like, GitHub blocks is the things that they do now where that's one part of GitHub next where you can sign up to have like readmes with functional mm -hmm. code inside of them. So like that they're, they don't go out, out of date, um, which is awesome. Bad, super awesome. Bad explanation. But either way, like I got into that one, um, just noodling around with it. But for Copilot for docs, right? So GitHub Copilot, but for your documentation, uh, if you have a look at their uh, landing page um, and I'll, I'll try to uh, grab that and throw it into the show notes as well. Uh, th there's just a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, for example, like you might come to the end of a document and then it just dynamically suggests other things, other questions that you might need to ask, for example. Mm -hmm. that, so really cool. Um, and if you've ever written documentation at all, you you know that towards the end of a document, generally you, you, you do want to give somebody yeah. a next step. But at the same time, like oftentimes that's fairly prescriptive and you know, like it's 
somebody reading this probably wants to know this next said ash for example <laughs> so yes. but the other the these person are these reading cases it, we envision you needing it and those are limited yeah and so like you know maybe maybe for example one just having the docs be a bit smarter about themselves if you will <laughs> sounds crazy to say but you know one can kind of suggest things connections that we might not have thought of but also my hope and i don't know if this is a feature in, in Copilot for docs or not, one would assume it is, but maybe they start to build some context for what the user's actually been looking up in your docs. Oh, that and, would be amazing. Right? Guiding you to a next step because of that. Uh-huh. Well, like, like, yeah, or even um, certainly building up context would be useful, but you could also imagine an experience where it's like, well, what do you want to build today? You give it a hint of this is the project that I am trying to build. And you could like, it'd be really cool if you had a mechanism by which, oh, here is documentation that might be relevant to accomplish this use case. Um, and then as you're going through each individual bit, maybe it's even split it up almost into a a guide of sorts. Step one, go read these docs and, and you might wire things together this way. And then the next steps there is go to step two and it, there's all of these things or almost a choose your own adventure is like, well, if you needed to do this, follow this path and things like that. I think that would be really interesting um, to be able to give you um, fine tuned um, access to the docs that, that you need at that point um, versus like, especially when you have a big API surface, it can be hard to know where to get started, how certain APIs tie in together. I, I, I always, um, come back to Apple in this regard um, uh, because uh, it's challenging for me to use their their documentation, partly because it's so sparse in some ways in the technical references. Um, but like, oh, great, I have this API. How do I tie it together with any other API in their ecosystem to accomplish what I need? Like, it'd be amazing if I could have something that would just say, here's the things you need, here's the classes, and here's how you glue them together. It's interesting that... As part of all of this, we also start to consider things like what is the human's role mm -hmm. in, in this? So um, I, I was giving a presentation for uh, Nordic APIs a couple of weeks ago on, well, the title of the whole event was called um, Documentation Best Practices or something mm -hmm. like that. But basically, my talk was more about... Uh, you know, when you when you realize you have a docs problem and you need to kind of convince your organization to reinvest to help them understand why and how, how to move forward and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so as went through that whole talk and then we had uh, like a Q&A at the end where we were talking with the moderator and the other presenter uh, from from Stoplight uh, API. And one of the questions came up about, well, like in a world of AI, what does that do to documentation teams? And I, my, my best guess at this is that, you know, because we should talk about this stuff because like mm -hmm. it, it Absolutely. is, this is going to happen. Um, yeah. And so it, how it happens and how intentional we are about being smart about it is important. I think my point of view on this really is like, it probably means smaller teams, um, but it doesn't mean no teams. And so, you know, what the right breakdown is of, okay, in a world where I could, and I, I want to talk you through this in just a second, but mm -hmm. in a world where I can feed in an open API spec yeah, and, and get basically a, a raw set of docs back, like some questions come up, right? So for example, 
like what's the human's role in all of this and it may not I don't know that like there's necessarily going to be like this clean bifurcation of here's what the humans do and here's what the bots do, mm-hmm. but it really is going to become sort of a marriage. Um, but also again, like it, it may result in, in smaller teams, but I, again, especially where for what it's worth for docu- where documentation is concerned. I think docs teams more than many teams at API companies over the years have kind of been on that trajectory for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they're already pretty small and and nimble most of the time, it seems like, at least in my experience. So yeah. instead, um, you know, how do we take the resources that we currently have from a human perspective and really kind of like lean into this to to go even further to offer, you know, of course, those smarter features, but also even helping us build some area of the documentation out that might otherwise take months to do? Yeah, well, I mean... Because like, as you mentioned, like, I mean, teams are teams are already pretty small. It's I mean, we're always resource constrained in terms of uh, what kind of content we'd like to generate, not even just in terms of documentation content. But um, I remember way back and when we were first bringing extensibility to XD and the huge number of samples we built, but also how rapidly those samples age. And so you could also imagine, like, is there a world where. You, we could leverage this this technology to you know automatically bring some of those samples up to date, and that way we have living examples that are always, um, cl- or at least the majority of them are are easily brought up to date. And then maybe the human just has to inspect them or make a couple of tweaks here and there. So doing more with the with the resources we are already constrained with, like teams are already small. If we want to be able to you know create good experiences and and deal with a lot of sample debt or documentation debt that we want to that we know we need to improve on but can never find the time is there a path for these bots to um to bridge that gap and now maybe it's like okay i didn't have to write the whole thing now i'm fact checking it but you know as long as i've as long as it's working like we can get to that sharing it out sooner um, I think that's a really interesting way to look at um, the fact that our teams are small anymore with with documentation and and the whole developer experience. Yeah, and I love that you went there because, like, outside of what you would t- traditionally sort of identify as like docs, right? There, just looking at sample code, for example, literally another thing that we're looking at right now <laughs> because we do have, you know, I think at this point. Um, you know, when we kind of started on this journey of building out sample code on GitHub a lot, about a year ago, like we were starting from scratch, mm-hmm. more or less. Um, where we are now is we have 80 <laughs> samples in a, <laughs> oh, in a wide, wide range of stacks and languages. And, you know, I, having been down this path before, I, I knew exactly at some point we're going to have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Now is the time we, ha- we have a major inflection point coming up in the near future and kind of thinking through like, what, if anything, can we do either to, one, help us migrate? And I I have some thoughts on that, but uh, helping ourselves migrate would be an interesting thing because whatever we can get as a side effect from that to help our customers migrate would be super interesting. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. I'm already excited about that. The, the, <laughs> the other one is that once you're on the other side of that, like, what can you do potentially to like get the, can the AI be a partner? in helping you keep up to yeah. date mm-hmm. because you know we could think for example like um i feel like you and i've been there together on code samples before and i, I find myself there again where it's like 
we should write tests. But there's always <laughs> yes. like some reasons why we can't uh, and uh, or we don't have time or in certain cases with with like XD extensibility, like it wasn't quite it wasn't really possible uh, in a lot of ways. So now here we are. And I actually tried this the other day. It was, it was super interesting, right? So this concept of hallucination comes up immediately because you can feed it. <laughs> Look, my experience so far with this, and I, I would love it if someone can help me prompt engineer my way into success here. But I basically fed it one of our Node.js samples and said, can you write some unit tests against this code? Oh. <laughs> and the thing is, it under it seemed to have semantically understood what the code was doing and then wrote tests that had nothing to do specifically with what was in the code. Oh no. So like in our case, like it was something about like, you know, sending an email using Node.js and um, it, I don't know. I mean, like it, they looked like tests, but how they connected back to the actual code that I had put in there was questionable at best. So uh, I'm still learning on that front. <laughs> yeah. I, I it feels like there's probably a conversation you might be able to have with it. Um, and, and I do find that that's one of the things that when chat GPT is hallucinating um, and uh, one can argue whether or not hallucinating is, is the right word as to what it's doing, but that's kind of how I look at it. Cause it's like, where did it come up with that? It's like, it's just going off of, you know, all sorts of things that it's found on online and, you know, existing patterns. Um, but like having the conversation is important. Like, okay, coming back of like, okay, why did you, I even asked it one time, why did you do X, Y, and Z? Just try see if I could, you know, glean more understanding as to what it was trying to accomplish. I'm not sure that I ever got a great answer in that regard, but coming back to it and refining it in a conversation did tend to yield, yielded better results. So the first thing out of it was, you know, broken in several ways and we got it down to the point where it was usable i don't know if the same thing would work for unit tests or not but maybe there's maybe there is a conversational path you could have to getting it to give a unit test that made more sense or maybe it might have to be a little bit more illustrative of um where each unit test is verbally described and then it could generate something a little bit more relevant, like create a unit test about sending an email using the API named X that I shared with you earlier. That might even be something that's, that would yield some interesting results. What's that concept in, uh, I, this is going to connect back, I swear, but what, what is that context or sorry, the concept of in game speed running, where they have a bot basically run every possible permutation of everything, like say in a Mario game, every possible pixel that Mario might move towards and it just keep it brute forces it until it eventually uh -huh. finds, you know, months later for the optimal path through the game. There's a, <laughs> there's a word for that, but I almost wonder if like, if, if there's something here where you could just go that path instead of like, just try to, have it build its own tests, keep running them until it's like, yeah, that's still failing until it finds its way into it. I'm, I'm not sure how you can get these things. I mean, do they execute code? That sounds well, that's an interesting thing because um, I don't know if you saw the the news. Um, there's chat GPT plugins now. Yes, and I did. I, yes, I haven't that had a chance cool. to play with these, but I know one of them I think is is doing like executing Python code or something like that. So it feels like there is a path. And I even before ChatGPT made their announcement, there was 
um, I want to say someone had locally, it may not have been using chat GPT. Maybe it was one of the other models that have been released, you know, where it was trying to connect to executing Python code and then Python would spit back the error and then it would try and fix it up and generate new code from it. So it feels like that is achievable or, or doable. I don't know if chat GPT plugins would do it or not, but like leveraging the output, assuming that that output was verbose enough to illustrate what the problem was. It feels like you could get into that like automated loop. Try this, that failed, fix it up. Try this, that failed, fix it up. You know, those kinds of things. That's crazy cool. Yeah, there's something interesting there where you could really get it into that loop and just kind of have it talk its way into success over time. <laughs> I had my, so here, here's the thing, right? I mentioned I wanted to come back to this earlier, but mm-hmm. there, so I had a thought of, kind of in the context of documentation, you know, we, we had a few, an episode or two last year where we talked about open API specs, which has been something I've been fascinated with for a while now. So taking just one of those basic open API specs and just like I literally popped open uh, chat GPT using GPT-4 and said, here's an open API spec, pasted the whole thing in. And that was like the end of message. And it came back and like, without being prompted, explained to me in English what, what the spec does. And then, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but then I could talk to it. I was like, right? so for example, like, you know, how could I get all, you know, sort of, uh, you know, items for a given user or whatever, if it was like an e-commerce thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it told me and it explained it a little bit more. And then I asked it, you know, what would a getting started guide for this API look like? And it, it gave me the uh, tentpole sort of like, here's the things you would want to touch on. You're going to want an introduction and prerequisites, um, endpoints, data schemas, and that kind of thing. Um, as I read through this, I, I, I kind of get where it's going. These are all elements, but you probably wouldn't want to follow these. It's like a section by section thing, the way it wrote it. But either way, point taken. And then I said, you know what? Can you just write this for me? And it did that. Uh, <laughs> and from what I can tell, it did it pretty well. But oh, then wow. I, so here, here I'm going to take it one more level up and then mm-hmm. ask an existential question. So right. <laughs> at some point I said, well, I, I started with an open API spec. Cool. But what if I didn't have one and I just had a use case and said, okay, hey, uh, make me an open API spec for, in this case, I just asked it to do a to, simple to do application. And uh, mm-hmm. from what I saw in here, it looks pretty solid. I mean, it's not going to blow your mind. And obviously, this should be easier for the AI to get at than, say, like some bespoke idea I might have right. about an API I want to create. But still, right. it did a good, it looks like it did a good job. So at some point, here's the thing can you see how, like, under the hood, I'm gra- grabbing on to my own former concepts of what I, the human, would have needed to do, which is get to an open API spec for my use case that satisfies the use case? then build out developer enablement content around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do do I need to care about any of this anymore? This is the existential question. Like, in other words, can I just ask it to, you know, do I, does the spec need to be the intermediary? Um, <laughs> now it sounds yeah. kind of like <laughs> insane, right? So probably today the answer is absolutely yes. But like, my, I just kind of wonder, like, where does this all go? Or at some point, it's like, hey, pretend to be in, uh, I don't know, like a to-do list application um, and give me, um, you know, let me let me call you via API. Well, I think that's the interesting thing, at least in my brain, is like, especially for, like, to your point, like, the more bespoke you get, the less likely you are to 
to at least initially get something good out of it. To do's uh, are the canonical example of, you know, anyone and everyone who is writing documentation. And so it has lots of examples to follow. Um, but that doesn't seem like that m- must be a limitation in all for forever. I mean, a lot of what we do in, in, uh, programming or scripting or APIs, there's, there's, there's lots of common patterns. It shouldn't be that hard for, for something that is exposed to all these patterns to figure that those out. And then, yeah, what, what does it mean? Like, do I need to, like, if I'm really, in some ways you could look at it as if I'm relieved of generating all of those intermediate things, um, now I can get to the final results faster. On the flip side, um, that was, you know, that was something that, um, I've learned how to do to create all those, those intermediate, uh, things. Um, are you starting to, you know, cut humans out of that? Um, thus what, 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 what impact are you having on jobs and, you know, employment and all that stuff on the flip side. Now I can also do more, um, without writing all that boilerplate, which I don't particularly ever like doing. Um, but it's, it's really interesting. And then you, not only do you have that, that aspect, but now you also have the aspect of how do you, how do you understand or have a view into that final output being correct? I know that like no bug, no program sort of maybe printf hello world <laughs> is, is bug free. Um, and maybe you could even argue that's not bug free because there's all sorts of intricacies about how you print content to a console. Um, nothing's ever bug free for humans, for sure. It, I doubt it would be in this case for chat GPT, at least, you know, based upon the fact that it does do some hallucinating. Um, so is there is there a difference in terms of how far I trust what comes out of that versus if I hand wrote it myself? I have a sense of understanding of how far I would trust myself. And it's probably not it's not as far as I'm, I would maybe ideally like to be because I know the bu- kind of bugs I inject by accident. I don't know the kind of bugs chat GPT might inject, but um, from an end user perspective, how much difference does that make? Especially as you go down for, you know, in the, in the future, like, I mean, if you want to get to a world, for example, where you can just, you know, Star Trek and talk to the computer and have it do certain things, like there is a level of trust or, willingness to buy into all, you know, that it doesn't matter that I understand all the details of what it's doing to actually get to the final result. Um, which is an interesting world to find ourselves in as coders and and scripters. (laughs) Yeah. So where applications are concerned, I suppose that for the time being, we wouldn't want to take our hands entirely off the wheel and say, Hey, um, chat, chat application, please now be a to do application. And we'll just trust that it handled all the implementation correctly. Ultimately, having that written copy in, in human coding language, it, like we want to all be able to gather around the table and, and look at that and agree that it's doing what we think it does, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to just kind of having it happen in the brain, uh, the AI bot, as, right. so to speak. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, on the flip side is like you look at um, uh, some of the stuff like going back to the speed running of these neural nets and, you know, the genetic, um, the genetic algorithms to evolve to a, to a solution that works is like you, you get to that point and you're left with a model that has like 
a, a lot of numbers in it and it may accomplish the goal. And you're looking at it like, I have no idea how it's doing that. Um, so there is like this weird bit of like chat GPT, at least you can in interrogate and you can say, you can understand why it's doing a certain thing if it's generating code. Um, which I think is an interesting uh, uh, thing with the chat GPT plugins is, and I haven't played with these, so I don't know what the experience is, is like entirely, but it looks like they have a path where you can look at what it's doing with each plugin and, oh, I need to do this. Therefore, I'm going to call this plugin and this is the parameter that I passed. And so you can kind of look at the internal transcript and get a sense as to what the model is thinking. And I think that's going to be super important to be able to validate or, or for me to be able to validate that I trust the answer or that it did the right thing is that I can actually see its internal monologue as it goes through solving a problem, which to be fair is actually way more than we have for any person <laughs> on this planet, because unless you're a mind reader, which I am not. <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, look, you're looking at something that someone did three years before, whether it's in code or just a platform decision or whatever <laughs> at work. And it's like, why uh, everyone's scratching their head. Why is this like this? And uh -huh. like trying to look around and see if there's anyone who was around at that time working on that thing to help you. Understands. Or what's worse is that it's, you know, it's your code and you're still scratching <laughs> your head as to why does it do this? What was I thinking? Um, I did clear. I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, I think we've all been there at some point. Um, but as a final sort of thought, I thought maybe we could just, you know, kind of do another one of these like random rundowns of like, do you have a, so for example, in chat GPT, uh, it, it maintains a list of chats that you've had. <laughs> uh -huh. And I'm curious, like if you could just like, whether you got it there or in Firefly as like some, whatever you've done, maybe not the prompt, but the prompt would be fine, especially for Firefly. I think that would be good. Or, you know, just like, what's the general topic? I thought maybe I'd grab a handful because I'm just curious, like what the, if we can kind of start to sketch out, like what's the range of things that you're talking to these things about? <laughs> oh, well, um, I'll start with Firefly um, because the range is all over the place. Um, but it's, it's interesting because you, you, you find yourself in places that you might not um, have expected to go. Um, so um I got to find my photos directory because I downloaded enough of these that now I actually had to start categorizing them. And there's a part of me that goes, I might actually need to add these to a Lightroom ca catalog <laughs> to oh. keep track of the, keep track of like the directions I'm going. Um, but um, just, a, just a sampling of some of the ones that I, that I've been looking at. So I varied between um, very kind of fantasy, um, you know, not, not photographic. I, I generally don't aim towards like realism. I, I will try it a couple times just to see what it gets out, but mainly because um, I'm more curious from the visual aspect and, and, and there's a little bit of where um, you, you don't have as much of an uncanny Valley sometimes when you, it's obviously not supposed to be real. Um, so I've, I've tended to do that a lot, but um, dinosaurs um, it's just something that I, I, I have fun imagining. So one of the things that I gave it was a prompt of a family of dinosaurs celebrating a birthday party. And mm. what does it come up with? And there's all sorts of like intermediate results of like, oh my goodness, this is, this is, you know, it's nightmare fuel, but there are some legitimately <laughs> adorable, um, options that come out of it. 
um, which we'll add in the show notes. Um, it really likes blue and white dinosaurs um, for some reason. Um, it really likes um, uh, like cupcakes and stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a party of di- a party uh, or a dinosaur family enjoying, and uh, like it, it makes sense. Um, other ones that I was doing um, was a whole series of like this kind of palette knife, thick painting kind of thing, and that was inspired because I have a I have a coffee cup, and on the coffee cup there is this illustration of a cow in this style, and it just tr- uh, triggered me as like, oh, what if I ask it to do styles of other animals? And so I have birds, cats, deer octopuses um or octopi octopodes i don't know what the plural is for for them um frogs like i just went down the animal kingdom and created all sorts of these and like it, they fit the theme like you could you could imagine these like in a um uh, in in a collection together um other ones that i was trying um i it's not the right season um but like spooky themes so like can you can make it build a haunted mansion or draw ghosts. Um, Firefly has um, an interesting perspective on trying to draw ghosts because Firefly is sourced on a lot of stock material um, or public domain material that is out there, or um, it, certain content may also be licensed that Adobe can leverage. But like, um, you're not going to have photographs usually of ghosts, so there's not a lot of training material. Um, but it still did an interesting, uh, interesting job um, on it. Um, and then the other stuff that I was doing was, um, cause I love thunderstorms and weather and it's been not terribly active here, but it's been active across the country, of course. So like that's, that's forefront in my mind. And so I ran through a whole series of, okay, drawing a, put a barn in an open field with a thunderstorm and lightning and rain and oh, switch the barn out for a tree and then switch that out for a shadowy figure walking down into this open field. And some really interesting results came out of that that I'll that I'll include in the show notes because it's really cool, you know, where the style is similar because I gave it all very similar um, guidance in terms of how it should draw this, um, but the what it evokes is really interesting. Um, so that's been kind of uh, my theme. There was a, a split second, and I and I want to get back to this where I was trying to leverage its hallucinatory nature uh-huh. <laughs> of giving it just like garbage animal names like one of them is um i was working with like um a pool of water in a cave and creatures in that pool of water and um one of the things is like okay so i'll give it a a siren or a skeleton and those are all things that it might have references for and then i just came up with a random word a blargle pod and i just wanted to see what it would think a blargle pod would look like and it came up with some, I mean, I can't say it's not a Blargo pod. Um, <laughs> oops, it, uh, it, in the show notes, it pasted the wrong result. Um, but um, it, it is very definitely um, an interesting thing of like, you could imagine it if I was writing for, you know, a, a fantasy world and I wanted to do some world building, what might it imagine this word to mean? And it's like, clearly not an actual creature, but um, sure, it works for Blargo pod. <laughs> So Whoa, I want to try that, that one too. It's like okay, <laughs> that's an interesting thing. I, I'm interested that yeah, it doesn't have feet, which is what I might have imagined. It's gonna have 
right? Pod, right? Like you're, I, but may, it, maybe it thought of pod as in more like a peas in a pod kind of pod. Um, and that's that's, my that's guess. what we're looking at. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so those are kind of been the the things I've been trying in Firefly. Um, in Chat GPT, um, so I definitely have asked it like technical questions. Um, so one of the things that I was doing, um, at, which reminds me, is I I need to file my taxes. Yay. Um, that's going to be fun. Um, but, um, because I moved mid state, there's that complicates everything. Right. And I needed to be able to track income in, in which state I was in. And, um, the app that I was using to track some of that, that, that data would give me, it was, um, my, my payroll information, would let me see the information, but it wouldn't let me um, like query it or filter it or sort it or do anything like that. And I wanted to copy it into Excel and it didn't have an export to Excel. I could export like one thing at a time, but not all of it, which drove me up the wall. But I'm on the web. So, okay, I could write some JavaScript to take the contents of a table, copy it to CSV and export it to Excel, right? And this was before I was exercising my muscle. I just did it manually, found a snippet on it, made it work. But then I came back to ChatGPT and asked it, how would how would you do this? And it came up with something almost verbatim similar as to, to, to what I eventually came up with. And I talked it through like, well, you know, maybe some cells might be formatted with currency. How would you convert that to a number? And maybe the, maybe there's some idiosyncrasies in terms of how that cell is defined. Um, and I finally got back to out some JavaScript code that it's like, oh yeah, I could put that on the console, run it. And I would have, uh, that file ready to paste into Excel, which was really cool. Um, so definitely have been doing stuff like that. Um, one of them, um, that I've asked it a few times is recipes just out of curiosity. Like <laughs> what is it going to do with a recipe? Um, and not it seems reasonable i think there's places where it maybe tends to go awry because it really likes to come back with recipes that would fill my kitchen with a very large mess <laughs> um but i had one here give me a recipe with chicken paprika roasted potatoes that is juicy and mildly spicy and it came back with chicken thighs paprika salt black pepper olive oil garlic onion red bell and green bell peppers chicken broth heavy cream which was interesting <laughs> baby potatoes butter, dried thyme, and then it went through and gave me the instructions preheat oven to 400 degrees in a bowl, make, you know, all of these kinds of things. And then it's like, okay, asking it back, well, does heavy cream make sense? Could you, what would you substitute it with or something like that? And it, you know, those kinds of things. And it came back with some suggestions. Um, so those things I've also been asking it about. There was even one um, that I asked it um I was just curious, like, uh, cause I think I saw it in hacker news or something else like that. Um, of like, how might you think about starting to integrate chat GPT with actually doing things? And of course, now that we have chat GPT plugins, you could imagine this world, but I was just curious, could it do an Apple script script that would set an alarm and it starts spitting out Apple script stuff. Now I have no idea if it works or not. Cause I didn't actually try it, but then one of my next questions was, well, could you convert it to the JavaScript version of it? Um, which it did kind of do. It just, instead of converting it to JavaScript, it called OSA script with the Apple script. Cheater. Um, <laughs> but, but it put it in a template string, which surprised me. Um, so I had a template literal that made it work. 
so those kinds of things are the, the, the stuff that I've been asking it um, other than, you know, a few other cases where it's like, I tried to convince it or ask it, um, did an, did an AI uprising, you know, uh, I asked it what led to the AI uprising of 1985? Like, obviously that never happened, but, um, and it responded back appropriately. There was no AI uprising in 1985 or at any other time. I think it was slightly miffed, <laughs> mm. but those are the things that I've been asking. It. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, all really good stuff. And I, I love like the wide range of things that you're, that you're talking about here, like on the images, like, sure. That's a lot of creativity and, and going through the fireflies gallery is super fun just to see like what, what, First to look at the image and then try to imagine like how did somebody describe that and then it actually shows you the prompt. Mm-hmm. So I don't have that much interesting to share here because I'm I'm still um, a relative newbie um, by a few days uh, <laughs> to to Firefly. So I've, I've only done the things that we've already talked about. Uh, so probably not really much to share there yet. The you know when it comes to Chat GPT again, you know I think I mentioned this on one of our recent episodes where I'm really trying to build that muscle memory just to keep Mm -hmm. it open and and remember to go talk to it. Uh, So I've had a number of different things come up, Uh, you know, some work stuff I'm sure I'll get to in a minute. Um, But just kind of starting with, for example, um, one of the questions I asked the other night was, um, has it ever been noted that the piano riff in Radiohead's Karma Police is remarkably similar to the piano riff in Sexy Sadie by the Beatles, which has bugged me for a good while, <laughs> but I didn't really know how to Google that uh-huh. without getting a bunch of junk. Right. Uh, yeah. And it, oh it, it, it said that this has actually been noted by uh, fans and critics alike, uh, that there's a there is a similarity. And I probably should have asked more. But in the moment, I was at, I had a number of these like this sounds like that. And I was just going through the list. Um particularly where it relates to the white album. I had a lot of questions. Uh, and so, Oh, interesting. Anyways, yeah. I got to go through that, uh, and, and try those out and it comes back with, you know, uh, helpful or interesting answers that sounded validating, but again, I want references and I, I didn't think to ask for them then. So, uh, I wonder if you did that to, um, beings, uh, the new version of being, if you would get any references back from that, that might be interesting. I've got to remember to spend time playing with that. That That's one thing where like, if I've ever been to being, uh, I'm sure it was over a decade ago. So like, it's not in my wheelhouse to remember to go to being, but, but at this point it should be. And like, I, I just keep, I keep telling myself, yeah, I'll do that. But I get, so like I'm already in chat GPT and like, I just kind of play around with it. Uh, let's see what else. So, for example, um, other things I've been kind of chatting with it about. I had some questions about uh, forehead thermometers and like those ones that like scan your forehead. And is the what's the what temperature counts as a fever, um, for example? Mm, and like, mm-hmm. is it the same? Because not all places you could measure your temperature equal ninety eight point six degrees is a fever. Uh, so, anyways, uh, it it kind of helps me there. Um, I asked it about what kinds of vinegar are considered healthy to drink uh, because (laughs) (laughs) Ryoko has been bringing home like vinegar drinks recently and I'm trying to understand what this is all about. And can I just make these at home instead of like they're kind of expensive for what seems to be sugar and vinegar in a bottle. So I had some questions about that Uh, again. Um, I would not just take the advice of this chatbot to anyone who thinks I've lost it. Uh, but I thought it'd be interesting just to understand, like, what are some vectors for actually doing some real research and just get get it kind of talking to me about that? Yeah, 
I well, and I think that's been the fun, some of the fun is like, oh, um, one understanding that I'm, I'm I'm I need to fact check it, and I think that's the important thing is when you're dealing with any of the these bots is like take it uh take it with a grain of salt for what it's worth and and do do the appropriate research to understand if it's going in the right direction um but it does like some some of the stuff it comes up with are are things i might not might not ever consider or like you said i don't know how to search for and versus getting like a million you know hits on oh here's where that album is but you know the some search results for for cer- certain categories are so poor like it's nice to have a way to phrase it more naturally and it give you back a result that makes sense. Yeah. Anything to do with health, you can just assume that like going to traditional search, you're going to be like, they're <laughs> going to be fear mongering uh, or right. <laughs> trying to sell you something. And like, it's really, really hard to get a straight answer. Yeah. Um, but going on into maybe one or two more, um, let me see here. Uh, one of the things I did the other day was there was this, uh, uh was it TechCrunch? maybe it was a TechCrunch article let me see if i can find yeah it was TechCrunch article and it sounded on its surface like it might be interesting but i clicked through and started reading and i'm like where's the substance of this article and i couldn't i'm not going to call out the article because i don't want to be that person but mm-hmm. it was just one of those things where i'm looking at it and i'm like is this article saying something or what is this and so like um i i one, I'm going to tell you the anti-pattern that i did with chat gpt and then mm. i'll tell you what what i did that actually worked so I walked into walked into I accessed chat GPT and then I said, please summarize this article. Boom. URL to TechCrunch. Right. And it did it, except it can't do that. So right. like, it can't what, read, it can't read a web page, which I keep <laughs> running into that wall over and over again because I'm like, I just want it to it's it, it, I'm always being reminded by chat GPT that it can't scrape the web. And I'm like, well, I'm not really asking you to scrape it, but I guess I understand what you mean. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those hallucination things where it's like, it just summarized something based on um, my guess is what it did was read the slug in the oh, URL and yes. guessed. Probably. Yeah. So, and here's the other thing. It took me a second. And the only reason I noticed, uh, because again, I hadn't really read the full article, so I could have taken it at face value. But the whole point was that I wanted it to summarize. So then I could ask questions against what was in the article based on what I actually want to know. And so um, once I started doing that, I asked it some questions and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second. Um, <laughs> you're, it, it wasn't answering, uh, like it was just answering things that didn't, in a way that didn't make sense. It was like, right. okay, you clearly did not read this article just like I didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> it, what I, and then I was like, wait, oh, I bet it can't go to TechCrunch, read the art, literally pull in that article. Mm-hmm. Like it's not allowed to do that. Okay, but I can. So I just copied and pasted the whole article <laughs> into the chat. Uh, so I think there's probably a word limit on this. I think from what I've heard, it might be around 4,000 words or something, yeah. um, which occasionally I run into that on the output side. It'll have perfectly great output and then it just stops. stops. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've, I've got to find smart ways to cope with that. But anyways, um, so having having pasted the whole article in, it did give me a nice summary. And then I could ask questions against that article that i had Mm. pasted in and it actually started so at this point i knew well i'm gonna end up this article i was trying to avoid reading (laughs) i'm gonna gonna end up reading reading (laughs) i'm gonna end up scrutinizing it because i want to know how this will work in the future next time this happens and um you know again like i i i I can't i know that i can't 
take what this thing is saying and just assume that it's accurate, but at least it could point me to the right direction, right? Maybe right. I would ask like, what paragraph should I be looking at if I want to know about X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So anyways, uh, paste in URL and ask for you know questions about it. Bad idea because it'll answer you, but it won't have seen the article. And you won't know it because you didn't see it either. Right. <laughs> Instead, you're just going to have to paste all the stuff in. Now, my hope is that um, the plugins are going to kind of start smoothing some of that out a bit. I, I imagine they would. Yeah. Oh, I saw some of that stuff people were doing with like the Wolfram Alpha. Oh, my uh, Alpha oh, one. That was insane. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. So I guess the last one I'll call out because uh, I was trying to show like, I don't know if you noticed this, Gary, but like outside of. Like, it feels like all this AI stuff is like eating up everyone's attention right now. Mm-hmm. But what does everyone mean? And it turns out that everyone doesn't mean people in our little tech bubble. Um, because I've I've brought this thing out live to in different contexts when I've been out in the world recently. And people are like, what's that? What's, what's, <laughs> a, what's a chat GPT? Or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they're like, so anyways, which is fine, but it's just nice to have that reminder. So yeah. um, I was trying to show this off to somebody the other day and they were like, okay, cool. So we came up with a question together and the question was, what would Scooby-Doo say while drinking a dirty martini with olives? <laughs> I don't know why this is the the demonstration that we collectively came up with to, to show that it's really thinking. But the answer was, rut row. Ritz a rirty martini with rollives, Raggy. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Oh, that's I don't, hilarious. But that that actually it's funny, right? Because like me showing somebody how cool something is is never as good as like, you know, it, it's never as gonna be as good as them having a thing they want to do or know. Yeah. And being able to input that into something and then see the result. So in this case, like kind of doing that collectively coming up with that silly question was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> well, and never mind, but that the answer is just awesome. I mean, clearly it's, it's doing some some understanding of, well, how Scooby-Doo talks. That's just that that that's a wonderful response to showing some of the capabilities. Um, that's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm sure we'll continue to talk about this in some ways. Uh, for one, um, sometime in the future, getting around to cracking open this thing's API and talking to that mm-hmm. programmatically. I've signed up for their beta waitlist um, on the API side of things. I don't have access, but I think someone maybe on my team does. Uh, so that might be an interesting thing to play with uh, sooner than later. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think this is a lot of fun. Are there any other kind of things that you're looking forward to trying out in the near future? Yeah, well, I really, I, I, I'm very curious about the whole chat GPT plugins and just like how, how do you interface things back and forth? Um, so that interests me. I, I really would like to take it down a direction of, um, uh, since I, I am so much into music and things like that is like, what is the musical side of this look like? Like, it's cool that we can do images. It's cool that we can do text. What is there when it comes to composition or musical analysis or all of those kinds of things? Um, and I know there's already some stuff out there that is working on that. Um, so it, it might be an interesting future episode to to dig into that a little bit more as to what is the current state of AI and music? Because there's a lot of things going on in that world. 
but that's very interesting to me. But even, uh, you know, more short term is like, could you imagine, um, you know, having chat GPT write something that is talking to the web audio API that then does this cool audio thing or music thing. And, you know, echoes and executes it because there's a chat GPT plugin for it. So I'm definitely interested in seeing how, how all of that actually works in real life, uh, in reality, and how easy is that to, to stitch together. So it's, it's super exciting um, in terms of the moment that the chatbot can go do something like, can it actually connect all the dots and actually do something interesting? So I think that's one of my biggest um, interesting things. Um, I think the other thing that is, it fascinates me a little bit is what happens when the bots are talking to each other. Um, and just as a sample of that, I, this is one of the prompts that I had asked ChatGPT is I asked it, what would a good prompt be for us to, for a stability diffusion um, app to generate a photorealistic image of a horse in a forest with some flair. And so that's all I asked it. And it came back with a photorealistic image of a majestic horse galloping through a lush green forest with a dramatic sky in the background, capturing the essence of freedom and wild and beauty. And then I fed it over into Firefly. Um, and I'll include, include that in the show notes. Um, but it, it, it did a really interesting job of capturing exactly that. Um, and, um, it's, it's just, it's interesting to think what the world will be when you have all of these bots talking to each other, um, and having conversations, um, in that regard. And, you know, what does that mean for, for everything that we do? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, starting with the APIs and, Getting to talk to them programmatically is an exciting thing, but then once we kind of get these bots up spinning, talk to each other, talking to each other, it just it it makes me start to question a little bit too about you know how about folks like me when I'd rather be scripting. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'd Rather Be Scripting. If you love scripting, terminals, Z shell, JavaScript development, and other random technology tangents as much as we do, we'd love to hear from you. You can always leave a review on your preferred podcasting platform, or you can reach out to us via the social links on our website, I'dRatherBeScripting.com. Until next time, I'd rather be scripting. <laughs>